Hey guys, I have a different mic setup today than I usually do, so if it sounds a little different, that's why. The question I want to get into today is what is the connection between the rise of the internet age and the rise of an age of people who are unsure about their gender? It's obvious that through all of history, the times that we live in impact the struggles that we have. So I know they're connected, but for months I've pondered, like, what is the connection? The more I've thought about it, I have come to believe that the internet is perhaps the number one contribution. I could be wrong, obviously, but I'm going to lay out for you why I believe it is the number one reason. As in any complex topic like this, in order to make any point is to sort of narrow the field. So you could say, well, there are more factors than that, and there certainly are. But if you're going to make any kind of argument about any topic, you're going to limit the field. So to, to narrow the field is to make a point. So this is a piece that I wrote for this week's Substack, and uh, by the way, I just started subscription. So basically, if you want to donate to to the work that that I've done here on the podcast or over on Substack, you can contribute there. And I the goal really is I'm experimenting with monetization. The goal is two things: one, can I build a tighter knit group of people? By turning on monetization, can I increase the amount of commitment both from me to the reader or listener and vice versa. If you're interested in this but you don't want to pay, I'm going to be gifting subscriptions to people. So just I'm going to put my email in the description. Email me the email address you want the subscription to go to and and I'll be giving those to the people that want them. But if you do want to contribute, I look forward to to what we're doing over there because I have a lot of ideas and I basically, like I said, I want to experiment with two things, raising the commitment bar from me to you and you to me, and, and how that impacts the interaction, and then raising the incentive. I am a believer in pragmatism. I'm a believer that if you can incentivize yourself to do something that is good, then that is better than to not incentivize yourself and not do those good things. So yeah, so for those two reasons, I have turned on monetization, and I'm going to just try it out as a strategy for communication. And like I said, goal number one is more conversation and more of a community rather than this numb way that we communicate today where everything is free, but as a result, everything is roughly meaningless. If you want to join that, I'm going to put the link in the description below. And like I said, if you want to join but don't want to pay, um, I'm going to put my email there. You just send me the email address you want it to go to, and, uh, and we'll get that done. So this is from today's Substack piece. In the 90s, there was much talk about the danger of video games and whether or not they were going to turn young people into homicidal maniacs, which as a kid of the 90s, this was a conversation that parents had, right? That, oh, like, it's gonna make men, young men more violent and all that, you know what I mean? This danger turned out to be false. If there was a danger, it was not violence, it was apathy. The kind of apathy that comes from treating large amounts of your own time as utterly meaningless. But we couldn't see it back then because we'd emphasized the effect of the content and downplayed the effect of the medium. Now, this is really interesting because Americans are very individualist by nature and we're very Protestant as a nation. These are two things which I am very in sync with. For example, our, you know, the, the fact that we've been the sort of pioneer of personal freedom is not a coincidence to these facts. So that the upsides are big and, and real. But we always overemphasize the choice that we think we're making, and we always downplay by default, we're always going to downplay the effect of the ritual that we participate in 
has on us or the effect that the medium we participate in has on us. As the old saying goes, the medium is the message. I heard it said this way, and if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, take this. A few days ago, I was listening to a podcast, and someone threw out this line, and this is a line that will stay with me forever. Ritual is cultivation. Whatever you do ritually, you cultivate. So as we go into the rest of this article, just keep that in mind. Today, I want to talk about how the unnoticed rituals of modern life teach us emptiness. And I believe this. I believe that we are not even to the point of happiness that someone in a pre-digital era thought was normal. It's not that we aren't uh, better off than them in a lot of ways, or even that we aren't kinder in certain ways than previous generations. But there is one particular way that people today are numb in a way that people in the past were not numb. That our norm, that our sort of like, I just woke up and this is how I feel, that that normal operating uh, level of emptiness, in my opinion, is higher today because of of the way that the world has changed. Today, I want to talk about how the unnoticed rituals of modern life teach us emptiness. What is it about the post-internet life that facilitates confusion about things as basic as, am I really male? My dad recently bought a collection of Atlas maps, and after we tired ourselves from making boomer jokes, I began to think about what these things represent. As humans, we understand who we are in relationship to others. Peterson writes about this in his discussion of many good games. Think of it like this. Life is essentially made up of each of us playing a hundred different games at the same time. Maybe you're a dad, maybe you're a son, maybe you're the guy who changes the tire in your family, you check the thermostats, you're a boss, you're an employee, you blow the leaves, you're a friend, etc. So what happens when the ever-progressing technology makes more and more of these analog skills obsolete? In a recent Pints with Aquinas episode, Mark Barnes explores the idea that there's a difference between tools and machines, that one type of technology is a tool and the other one is a machine. For him, a tool, let's use a hammer for example, is a piece of technology that one must master. It takes us beyond what we could do alone, but it also requires of us the development of an analog skill. This development is a concrete proof of growth. It confirms to us that not only are we generative, not only do we change, but that life itself is generative, that life itself can be changed for the better. These proofs stack up and inform our identity. And this is really the heart of the whole piece, that we, even though we don't notice it, that each of us is made up of a hundred tiny skills, maybe a thousand, but for for clarity's sake, let's say a hundred. So let's say there are a hundred little jobs that you do as a son or a dad or a wife or a mom or a daughter, that you occupy a hundred different games or a hundred different roles. And your competence in each of those things informs your identity. And that in a post-internet world where those things are becoming more and more obsolete, all these little tiny things you do day to day, you don't need to change the tire, someone will come do it for you. You don't need to check the thermostat. It checks itself via the internet. You don't need to change the clocks. They change themselves. That like these hundreds of these tiny little things that make up our feeling of competence are becoming more and more automated and we are becoming more and more empty. So we do not feel like someone who has a thousand tiny skills 
as someone who is complex and someone who, uh, you know, is variously competent at these thousand different things that we're that we're called to do. Instead, we feel less and less like a unique being. We feel more and more generic. As all of our tiny inconveniences are taken away, we allow them to be taken away, and then after they're taken away, those 1,000 tiny analog skills, like changing a tire, as they're all gone, after they're all gone, we do not feel like ourselves. We feel generic. We feel bland. We feel empty. Because we have not proved growth to ourselves in a thousand tiny ways. That over the course of your life, those hundreds of tiny little things that you had to learn, as you do not have to learn them, you don't. And as you don't, you do not figure out who you are. Because you can't compare, because you don't have anything to compare. You don't have a thousand different things you tried and either failed or succeeded at. So each of those failures and successes contribute to how you view yourself, but because you never engaged in any of them, because you never had to, you feel bland, you feel generic, and you feel empty. Unlike tools, a machine is a technology which operates without you. There's nothing to learn, nothing to master. You simply go up to it and ask for its help. A tool helps you. A machine replaces you. Now let's talk about the social dimension. Real human interaction involves a great spectrum of intensity. Let's say you're visiting a friend and their cat enters the room. You might go over and pet it, or maybe after elusively eyeing you down for an hour or so, it might decide that you're actually okay after all and come lay in your lap. Maybe your friend just got back from the beach and they tell a story of an old guy who insisted on wearing nothing but a Speedo despite the mirror's warnings. In return, the group explodes with stories of the beauties and mishaps of vacations gone awry. Or maybe your friend's parent just passed away. The air is somber while people listen and empathize with the pain that they must be going through. No talk fixes everything, but by careful listening and thoughtful questions, you allow your friend to process out loud. At least by letting them talk it out, you are able to help them make a tiny bit of sense out of what just happened. Now let's look at the difference between those three situations as experienced on Facebook. Like, heart, sad face. Or as Mark Barnes put it in his piece, in the social media age, a breakup, a suicide bombing, and a guacamole recipe are all presented as equal tiles of information. It flattens all of our human experience. It takes all of the depth out of our interaction. No matter how great or tragic what just happened to you, if you put it on Facebook, it's just like a picture of your cat. The experience for me is roughly the same. The experience for us is roughly the same. And that means that as I put my life on social media, that even if I am not conscious of it, there's some part of me that knows that no matter how tragic or how beautiful whatever I just experienced was, that it too is nothing but something to keep people occupied for about five seconds before being thrown away and on to the next thing. It cheapens us. In his work, G.K. Chesterton once pushed back on the idea that living in a big city broadened your mind. 
His point was that in a city, people actually narrow. Because of the excess of social options, people are allowed to befriend people who are just like them. This is a really interesting idea, you know, he said that you don't broaden your mind if you move to a city, you just find people that are like you and hang out with them. Whereas in a small town, you must interact with people who are very unlike you, just by necessity. The internet has not only relieved us from dealing with people who are different, but it relieves us of dealing with people at all. The skills needed to navigate the complex social environments we once called Pizza Hut and work are slowly being replaced by working from home and DoorDash. Hookups are easier than breakups, and porn is easier than that. At every turn, we've traded development for consumption, competence for convenience. We feel less and less like a complex, unique collection of skills and experience, and more and more like a battery for the machines which take care of us. And the more we look away, the more we must look away. Like survivors on an ever-shrinking island, the reason we're fighting over identity today is because modern life affords so very little of it.